And uh, we're going to look at a number of scriptures tonight. Glad that you're out and about. Well, Pete, good to see you back. You are awake? Good. Good, all right. I might get you to come and say hello to everyone. I'll get you to give full testimony on the weekend, but maybe just a little greeting at the end tonight. That'd be great. Welcome home. Brother Paul gets back tomorrow, I, I believe. I think that's right. He texted me yesterday in the words in bold, I'm looking forward to being home. So I think he's... Uh, so now's your opportunity, Laurel. You can get him to do all those extra jobs. He'll be so happy to be home, you know, just get him to do whatever. That'd be fine. But he's looking forward to being home. And, uh, and praise the Lord for what's been happening. Uh, all right, I want to continue what I started two weeks ago, just talking about the matter of prayer and uh, uh, developing our prayer life. Uh, the, the topic and the theme is praying for one hour. And I gave you a, a message on how to prepare your prayers, how to prepare with lists and different things. And I think the... Probably the main thing that came out of that for many, or at least what you told me, was that when you stand up and say praying for one hour, you go, Ugh. but then when we broke down so many things last time, a lot of people said, yeah, actually, there's quite a lot we can pray about. And a number of things we can list down, and I hope that you have been doing that, developing, whether it be lists of different things that you hadn't been praying about, or perhaps being more specific in what you are praying for, and uh, just uh, uh, developing that as we go along. I want to read you a quote. Now, how many of you have ever heard of David Brainerd? Anyone, pop your hand up if you've heard of him. And if you've tried to read the, the book on his life, a lot of people start it and can't finish it. It's pretty heavy going. But so he died as a very young man. Uh, but prayer was something that was very, very important to him. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can't say this of everyone, of course, but there are certain people in Scripture who died young, but they had died fulfilling their purpose. John the Baptist was one. Jesus was another. Uh, and, and I guess with David Brainerd, he lived a short life, but his, his life has gone on impacted for many hundreds of years since through his uh, relationship with the Lord in prayer. Through much physical pain, he drew near to the Lord. And he said this, he said, Oh, one hour with God infinitely exceeds all the pleasures and delights of the lower world. And uh, this young man who was crippled by severe physical pain uh, found a way almost, to, I don't want to sound silly saying this, but almost to transcend the pain of this world and the flesh by uh, engaging spiritually with the Lord through his spirit. And it was very real to him. And I want to read to you again here from Matthew 26, the night of the Lord's betrayal. Uh, he says in verse 40, the Bible says, And he cometh unto the disciples, Matthew 26, 40, He cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? He'd invited them to pray. He took them to pray yonder, it says in verse 36. And so when he says to watch one hour, was to watch in prayer. And verse 41 says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it's true, isn't it? The flesh is often our number one fighter against, the number one thing fighting against uh, prayer. You add to that the, the wiles of Satan and so on. But the spirit is willing. So again, as I said to you previously, the goal is not to pray for one hour to say, hey, I prayed for one hour, I'm more spiritual than you. But our goal through this study is to create a deeper understanding of prayer and to develop our understanding of how to pray. I, it, it's, it, for 11 years, it's been one of the most common things said to me. When I will ask someone, when they come to me with a trouble, or I'll say, how are you going? Are you praying about it? How's your prayer life? What? A lot of people will, will drop their head a little bit and say, I just don't know how to pray, or, or will feel inadequate in prayer. And I don't think God wants us to feel inadequate in prayer. Because when we feel inadequate in prayer, we tend to be putting the emphasis on that, well, if I didn't say the right thing, then somehow the power of God couldn't work. It's a bit like when people foolishly say, well, if you didn't give the gospel presentation well enough, they won't get saved. 
Well, it's not on my gospel presentation. It's on the power of God. But what I must do is give the message. I'm a human messenger. And prayer is a little bit the same. The Bible tells us in Romans, the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us. Because we, we don't know what we ought to pray. So sometimes that means we come and, Lord, I don't know how to pray this, but God is seeing our heart and the intent of that and, 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 and he will move in us to pray a certain way. It could be that level or it can be as we pray, just like when a child might be trying to express something to a parent. It's, it's fun when you see little children learning language. And sometimes they don't have the words. I remember one time when Sophie was very young, um, she was sore and she was crying. I said, what's wrong? She goes, I hurt the, I hurt the knee on my arm. And it's because she didn't know the word elbow. She was probably two, one maybe. And, and when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. It looks like a knee on my arm, doesn't it? But well, we use the word elbow. But, but So what's that intercession? Well, that intercession one this, uh, was as a father, I know what you're talking about. And that's what we've got to remember with God. So the power of God is not inhibited by our lack of vocab, our lack of eloquence. Uh, it is inhibited by our lack of willingness, our lack of going to God. It says in Psalms that, uh, that because of their unbelief, God had hindered them and, and, and God had restricted them because they were in unbelief. So that's an aspect that is on us. But I don't want you to fret about, well, look, I, I you know, hear some people pray and they pray better than me. Well, you know what? Jesus also spoke in, in Luke, didn't he, about a man, a Pharisee who gave great wafting prayers. And then he said that there was a man who just beat on his chest and would barely, barely say it out loud. But he went away justified because his heart had connected with the Spirit of God. And it wasn't about his eloquence. It was about his sincerity. And so I just say all that as background tonight to uh, remind you, as you think about this matter of praying, oh, I really would love you to set a goal. I, I really would. I'd love everyone here to set a goal and say, oh, I would like to pray for an hour. I'm not asking you to do it every day for the rest of your life. But if, as I give you these things, we gave some last time about lists. I'm sure if you did what I said there, you'll find you have a lot to pray about. And, and you would have been able to double, maybe triple your prayer time just, just in that alone. Again, we don't want to do it you know, you know, without heart, but I'm, I'm just giving you that. And I think as I give you these things, as we go through them, you will find that you will be able to add to your prayer life. And I've chosen an order, uh, not that it's a strict order, but it's an order that helps me uh, it's not a sin to break it or anything like that, but it's a guide that I think you'll, you'll find beneficial. So I'm going to break down 12 areas of prayer found in the Bible that if you prayed them each for five minutes, you get to an hour. A lot of what we did last time was really on intercession, praying for our nation, praying for others, praying for our church, praying for our family, specific things. So that one area is one of the 12, and I'm talking five minutes, but we probably saw you could pray 20, 30, 40 minutes just on that. So it's not a complicated matter if we really set our heart to it. So I'm asking you to set your heart to prayer here. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to have another prayer and fasting day as a church three weeks from now on a Wednesday. Another, uh, so, so three Wednesdays from today. Uh, our missions conference is only uh, a bit over four weeks away. So we want to pray about that and a number of other things upcoming. And uh, it's something for us. I want us to grow in this. So I want you to join in with me. Okay, so let's turn to Psalm 63 and I want to give you the first one here. And uh, we will just study our Bible, look at a couple of references. I want to encourage you to take notes. I didn't give you a handout tonight, but I really would guarantee it'll help you if you get a pen out, a piece of paper, or you type them in on your phone if that's your way. Um, but take some notes here because I'll give you some references and I'll give you some points. And I'm even going to ask you to add to some of these points because I, I wrote a few and I think there's, there's a lot more here. And if you would take that, something in your heart, you, you'd be able to run with it. All right? Psalm 63, wonderful thoughts here on prayer, I want to talk to you first and foremost about praising, praising God 
in prayer and beginning with praise. Uh, Psalm 63 and verse 1, you'll notice here David said, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. If you go down to verse 3, he says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. And I want you to notice here that very early on, as David would express these things, he starts with the aspect of praising God, and he says, My lips shall praise thee. And he gives a reason because of thy loving kindness. And there's, there's a thousand reasons we could praise God. Amen? I mean, there are so many reasons you, you could praise him. How many would agree you could praise God because of your salvation? Over and over again. You could praise God because he has been faithful and he has provided. You could praise God. I mean, just we could go through thing after thing after thing. Uh, I've often said to you, I, I praise God. He kept me alive long enough for, for the lights to go on and, and, and for me to call out to him as my saviour. Uh, we could think about so many things. We could praise him for practical things in our life, our church, our family, our Bible, uh, uh, you know, just, just so many things. There's a pattern here. And if we think of the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew 6, our Father which art in heaven, when, when he was giving a model, not a have-to, but just a model prayer, he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he began by praising the Father. Hallow means to revere or to sanctify. So he began immediately with praising God. And by the way, he ended the prayer with praise as well. Uh, thine be the, the glory, the kingdom, the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so praise is something very, very important. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Are we trying to butter up God? Not, not so much. We're just trying to say what is true. Because adoration is the act of rendering divine honor, esteem and love. Now, now honor to whom honor is due. So there's nothing wrong with praising another person, saying thank you for that thing they did. And by the way, we all do feel a bit better when someone encourages us truthfully. Someone uses flattery and it's untrue. It's like, oh, but, but truthful praise is helpful. But you know the great thing about praising God is it is true to praise him. He's worthy of it. He is he's worthy of all praise. And uh, we praise God first of all. Uh, I'll give you another scripture. If you're in Psalm 63, you just go to Psalm 50. And uh, look, at a, look at another one with me here. Psalm 50 in verse 23. Notice something that is said here about praising God. It says, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Don't need to make that any more complicated than it is. And so I'd give this to you tonight. I'd say to you that we, we praise God, we begin with praise because praise puts God in his rightful place. Now, how do you understand if I don't praise God, he's still in his rightful place? But praising God puts him in his rightful place in my mind and heart. Now, if you're like me and you can lean to the negative occasionally, as a perfectionist at times, I can, I can see the glass half empty and, and, and it shouldn't be that way because with God, I think the glass is always half full, if not always full. But I, I can lean that way in my flesh. So one of the things that helps when I come to prayer, if I begin by praise, I lift my own self up out of the muck and the things I see around me. And I start now to put my attention toward heaven. And I start to just think on God for just a moment. And I start to see him high and lifted up. And I start to think about that and praise many things. Maybe his character. Maybe his honour. Uh, maybe his self-existence, his attributes. Maybe his word. I, I could go through so many things. But it helps lift my spirit from here to there. And again, I'm not talking like some out-of-body experience. You know, I'm talking very plain speak. And, and we just... We, we, as it were, lift our spirit up. And 
Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Praise is unselfish. Have you noticed that? So, so think about this in an earthly sense of encouragement. Isn't it amazing that one of the most wonderful things you can do for a person is something that costs you nothing? Just to encourage them. You don't have to go and spend money to do that. You can just open your mouth. But you see, if you have nothing in here out of the abundance of that, you've got nothing to speak. And so we do have to be a people, when it comes to God, that make sure we're putting things in to offer back to him. So you say, what do you mean? Well, wouldn't it be good if God's people took a moment to turn around and say, thank you, Lord? Because I'm sure God is in heaven tonight saying, where are the nine? You know, he's healed ten lepers and, and, and only one turned around. And uh, we're guilty of that sometimes. Imagine if we put as much time into thanking God as we do into asking God. Because when there's a big thing going on, we'll pray, we'll call our friends to pray, we'll pray three times a day. Did you go back the next day and pray three times, thank you? you just praise him. See, remembering what he has done. Uh, forget not his benefits. Remembering what God has done can be an act of praise. He said in Psalm 22 and verse 3 that he inhabits the praises of his people. It's a curious phrase. And so adoration, adoring God, I think is like an antidote to the poison of Satan's oppression. It becomes something that lifts us out of here and and, and out of negativity and even, even lies that Satan might want you to believe. And makes you focus in on the truth of who God is. Now, by the way, Psalms, not not exclusive to Psalms, but Psalms, they are a great place to go to look at praising God. And if you say to me tonight, say, Pastor, how do I praise God? I tell you what, you read Psalm 63 and just read it back to God. That's the place to start. I don't know the words. You can just start reading some of these Psalms. David's done it for you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's okay, by the way, to praise something that you heard someone else pray if it's really from your heart. It's when it becomes a tradition that you didn't engage with, that's a problem. But there's nothing wrong. I've done it. I've heard people pray something. Oh, that's a good prayer. I think I'll pray that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong. The word of God is there for admonition. David said, earlier I seek thee and I'll praise thee, Lord, with my lips because your loving kindness is better than life. If that strikes a chord with you, then say it to God. Praise him. So let me list a couple of things, and here's where I want you to add to the list. I want you to think about this as I say it, and I'll give you some references. We ought to praise God for his name and his truth. Psalm 115, verse 1. We ought to praise God for his righteousness. Psalm 35, verse 28. We ought to praise God for his goodness. And if you struggle sometimes with this thought, this is what you need to read. Psalm 86, verse 5, just simply says, For thou, O Lord, art good. Pretty simple. And you say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, then you don't agree with the Bible. It says that. God is good. His goodness. Uh, Psalm 150, verse 2, you can praise him for his mighty acts. Psalm 56 and verse 10, you can praise him for his word. Psalm 119 is basically a whole psalm. It's a big one. Praising God for his word. 176 verses that tell us about the nature of the word of God and its benefits. We can take these things and we can praise God. Perhaps you could add some other things. We read in Psalm 63, David praised God for his loving kindness. We could praise God for his mercy. You can start developing this list. And all I'm getting at here is if you have 10 things you can praise God for, just 10, then all you need to do is spend 30 seconds on each and you just praise God for five minutes. 
How many of you want to praise God that he has forgiven you? How many of you want to praise God that heaven's real? And, and this is not eternal, hallelujah. I mean, we could just uh, praise God for the health of my loved ones. Praise uh, God for the, uh, the person who came and, and, and shared the gospel with me. Praise God for the Holy Spirit living within me. Praise God for the word of God. And that, you know, I've, I've read things before and then just when I needed it now, it's, it, it, it just came out to me like it was never there before. Praise God for that. Praise God for the lessons I learned through that. Praise God for my family. We, we, just, we can just keep going and going and going. And I tell you what, as you start praising God, you will find you'll adore him more and more. Because there's no end to it. There's just so much to praise him for. It's beauty. So I believe we could begin with praise, and and that would be something for you to think about. Now, I'm asking an honest question. How many of you think we could praise God for five minutes? Really? You say, I couldn't do that. I'm I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm not having a go at you. But I think you could just open the Psalms and even read them for five minutes and just praise God. You know, I, I love it when um, we come to prayer time Wednesday night and, and if we could just sit for a moment and if every one of us would just start by praising God. The Bible tells us in Revelation that those praises and those giving of thanks and, and the things associated with that, they're like a sweet odour in the nostrils of God. There's something that... Now, let's be... So, so that's what we call anthropomorphic in terms of theology. What, what God does is God puts terms and illustrations and metaphors and what, he puts them in terms that us humans can understand. God, God doesn't have nostrils like us. God is a spirit. But he knows how we use our nostrils. Now, how many of you, when you've been and you smell a good meal that's about to be made, that, that good odour, it, 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 it does something? All of a sudden, you get hungrier than you were before. All of a sudden, the person who's making that meal is worthy of more attention and, and you're willing to do more for them. Maybe it's a child says, I will go and clean my room. I really like the smell of what's coming. Now, here's the thing. The odours, God put us in these terms because he knows what we think. God's saying that, that praise, that is like an incense that goes before him. When he hears that it's, and, and he smells that, it's, it's almost like favour. It pleases him. And so, again, you can't manipulate God, but he's just saying to you, I do respond to that. Praise is good because God already knows where he is. God is who he is. But when we praise God, we, we put him in, a, in the right place. And that, that's now we start to come in that communion. And remember I said to you that prayer, first and foremost, is about you communing with God and God communing with you. Prayer is not a, hey, I go before a computer and feed in a list and see if the computer spits it back out. That's not God. God is a real being who has a real relationship with real people. And he wants to hear from you and he wants you to hear from him. And you imagine if it was just in your home, husband and wife, or in your work, you know, boss and employee, and, and your relationship was just that one side, or just, you know, hand in the form and, you know, well, oh, not a good boss, didn't give me everything I asked for. It was just, it's just dead. And God is saying, yep, yep. You know, I've taught you on the list and that's good because we want to be specific when we go to God. We're coming before holy God. But God is saying, would you come close to me now? When we praise, we draw ourselves closer to him. We start to see him in that right place and things can start to flow from there. And as we praise God, how many of you would agree with this? When we start to praise God, it puts a lot of things in perspective, including us. Okay? So here's a balance for you. It can put into perspective 
It can humble me. I'm not as good as God. But it doesn't have to send me down in the dumps. Because the other side of it is, it can say, I'm really loved by God. And you see how people go to one extreme? Proud people don't want to praise God. Because to praise God is sort of giving off the honour that I think I want. But then you can see that people who have a real issue of, of their own confidence and, and feel really quite worthless, they don't want to praise either because when you start to praise God, it, it takes you from feeling worthless to, yes, I'm unworthy, but boy, he has made me worthy. He's called me his child. And it takes me to this wonderful place of like, wow, I can't believe God did that, but wow, I'm so blessed that he did. And it starts to give you a right balance as you see things. Wow, he's a great God. He loves me. And praise will start to affect us that way. All right, let me give you a second thing that you can do. And here's one that I think most of us could admit we could, we could spend five minutes on. That's the, that's the thought of confession. The thought of confession. Oh, that went quiet, didn't it? All right, you're in Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 139 and uh, let's look here. Uh, praise is the act of adoring God. Can I say that con- confession is the act of changing in character, of God changing our character? Psalm 139, and we'll just look at here in Psalm 51 very quick and we'll stop tonight. Psalm 139, and again, here's, here's another thing. And, and this, these verses, and in Psalm 66 I, I, and Psalm 51, I, I'll tell you, I, I pray regularly when I'm confessing myself. I ask God to do these things uh, because they are straight out of Scripture. And uh, I think every one of us at some level can struggle with confession at times. Who here has done what I've done because you don't, really don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of it and just say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And you can always hear the Holy Spirit say, and what sin is that? You know God, and, and you know moving on. We don't want to do that. But let's look at some things here. And, and by the way, you know what I love about the Bible, full stop, but, but I love about the character of David. David, when he got confronted about something, he just, just called it what it was. You know, he, he, he did some wrong things, but when it, when it just came to naming it, he just... Laid it straight out. And, and, and I think God loves that. God hates fake. I tell you as a pastor, I hate fake. I've seen so many people fake it in church over years. I hate fake. I've, I've said to people so many times, I, I think I can handle anyone who's got their, their baggage and what we've all got baggage, who's genuine and just seeking God. They might be rough around the edges. But boy, it's hard to take someone who's fake. Even more so when you know they're fake. Because it just, it's just disingenuous. And, and you know, God's not fooled. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. And, uh, you know, we just fake, just grind. And I think it's Aussies that grinds on us too because we, we're just pretty straightforward people. We like to call it how it is, call it how we see it. Sometimes we get it wrong. We, we, we tend to be that way at work, you know. We just call it straight. And uh, it, this, is, this is part of that. So let's look at some verses. I'll give you some thoughts. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Is that a good prayer? Is that a hard prayer? Sometimes it can be. Search me, O God. You know what that's like? That's like saying, Lord, you're allowed in every room of the house of my spirit. Uh, You know, at times we, we have a busy home, of course, four children and what. Uh, we might have people over, and we might have one particular room. Let's close that door. It's a bit messy. Don't laugh at me. You do it too. All right? Uh, but you know what this is like? This is saying to God, no, no, you can look in that room too. 
and, and you're allowed access there. And, and by the way, God already knows. But you're saying, search me, O God. Now, I want, can you read that out with me? Let's read it together. Ready? From verse 23. Ready? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Not a bad thing to pray. Now, the word confess, it just means to agree. So when you confess something, you're agreeing that it is so. So in the law, they might say they confess to doing this thing. They're agreeing with the evidence. They, they agreed that they did it. Someone made the accusation. They agreed with it. So sin will make the accusation. But again, it's the Holy Spirit of God that will convict us. In terms of God, to confess means to agree with God or to admit my guilt. So confession, we mostly speak of it in terms of sin. But when it comes to the chastening work of God, can I put this to you tonight? The confession can be not just about sin, but also about improvement. And this is where we, we struggle because we like the black and white. If something is clearly wrong, confessing it as wrong is so. But how do you understand when God is working upon you, sometimes, and I think Brother Andrew preached on this a few weeks ago, sometimes God wants you to choose between what's good and what's best. And so here's what's good. Uh, you might be sitting in the pew right now, you're in church, so that's good. But God wants you to do more. And so confession can be agreeing. Like a message was given, I might say, today it's time for invitation, would you come to the altar and... Sometimes what you might be confessing is you didn't do any grievous sin. You're just acknowledging I've been, I've been fighting a little bit with God. And you could argue maybe it's sin, maybe. But, but you've been perhaps just fighting against that leading a little bit. Or that God is wooing you onto something higher. So there's two aspects here. There is the aspect of sin, but there's also the aspect of just alignment with God again. And this is why I think this is very important early on. We praise God. We're coming to God, we're, we're identifying who he is, we're reminding ourselves of who he is. And then as we start to confess, we're now acknowledging things we need to agree with God on. And I wonder how many of us tonight came and said, you know what, I'm, when I pray today, tonight, I'm going to agree with God on that thing. Because how many of us wrestle with God at times? Anyone else? We're a bit like Jacob, aren't we? But how many of us know every time God wins and you just end up with a limp? That's, that's, the, way, that's the way it will always work. So it's sort of the easy way, the hard way. But we, we, we can wrestle with God and confession is, is this way. Now, let's talk about the sin aspect for a minute. This can be hard because pride can get in the way or, or what, but, or because you might be enjoying the pleasure of sin. But when you start to praise God, I think it will lead you towards this confession and once you start to con- when you start to confess, you're, you're, you're acknowledging responsibility to get it right. You're acknowledging responsibility to have done wrong. And what this does is this will help bring us in line with God too because it wants to bring about a change of character in us. Sometimes what we do is we pray for this, change this, change that, and God is saying, you know, just, just stop. Just stop. The real change I want is in you. And the rest will come to pass. And I was talking with, with one of our men this week and I said to him, he was just saying, thank you for this thing that happened and, and God's doing this in my life. And I said, you know, I had noticed over a period of time that some things in your life were, and we might use this phrase too much, but they were falling apart. You were this, you were this and it wasn't working. And you tried this and it wasn't working. I was like, why isn't this working? And they were all good things. There was nothing sinful in what was being sought after. But when I said this, he acknowledged it. He said that I think what God was trying to do was get a hold of your heart and change something in you. And when that change happened, 
these things started to get answered. But you couldn't trick God. You can't fool God to just try and get the thing. But you see, how many of you understand that God can give and God can take away in a moment? God can open, God can shut. So the giving or taking of something is just nothing to God. He, he took from Job and he gave it back. He can do that. But the process that tends to take a time in us is the change in our heart. And so what confession is about, do you realise if you never confess you did wrong, God still knows you did wrong anyway? You know, you don't go, Lord, I did wrong. He goes, really? Oh, blow me down with a feather. I just didn't know that. God knows exactly what you did. But what the confession allows is, is the working of God in your heart to change your character. How many of you could agree with this with their children? When you know your child's done something wrong and they don't admit it, we've got a problem, don't we? But when they admit it, now we can start to work on the need and that's the character because it's the character that will determine the action. If we just treat the action, we miss the real, real point, don't we? And this is something that Christians, I think, are a bit naive with, with, with sin. We often just look at things and say, well, it's just the action. No, no, God's looking at the root cause of the action. Because if you just say, sorry, I did that thing, you'll probably just go off and do another thing. But it's the change of character that will cause you to not do any of those things. So God is wanting to work on that. And confession is, as we come to him, it does this. Now, someone once said this. They said, my prayer life will never rise above my personal life in Christ Jesus. Because if we're not willing to share those things with God, then we won't rise above that. Psalm 66. Would you listen to this verse? Psalm 66 and verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So God is saying, he said another place, he said, I resist the proud. I'm not listening. I'm resisting. And here he says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, I'm not listening. Over there in Malachi, I've given the example before, chapter 2, there were a bunch of Jewish farmers who had been praying and fasting and God said, I'm not listening. Because over here, you're not paying your employees the wages they're due, and yet you're coming over here fasting saying, God bless me. God's saying, you're regarding this iniquity. And so all this sacrifice is for nothing. And there's this glaring thing, you know it's wrong. Go and deal with it. And then I'll I'll hear you. And uh, you say, oh, it's harsh. It's not harsh. I I guarantee you most parents have done that at some level. You know, you told your child, go clean their room. They didn't do it. They come ask me, have you cleaned your room yet? No. Well, go and clean your room. We'll talk about it. Sort of a similar thing, isn't it? It's like address what you know you need to address. Okay, go with me to Psalm 51. I'm going to move to finish here. Uh, I, I understand it's uh, middle of the week and thinking about confession. <sighs> but it's, this is, again, it's about sin. Sometimes it's not about sin. It's about bringing our heart in line with him. But let's talk about sin a little further here. Psalm 51. Now, this is David again. This is David's prayer of confession. Remember after Nathan had confronted him? Uh, the Holy Spirit leads him to write this. And this is wonderful. By the way, I really encourage you as a parent that you should look here for some tips on how to work through with your children when they've got, got things wrong and they need to get them right. I'm not going to read all the verses, but there are some things here that are just great because David is just transparent. Look at what he says in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. In other words, it's like, Lord... I know it's only you I can plead my case to. And Lord, I I know you're merciful. Please, would you give me some of that? And look at what he does in verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned. See, that's, that's calling it straight, isn't it? He doesn't say, well, Lord, I know I did wrong, but you know, she did some wrong too. 
It was the wife who gave me, Lord. No, he just says, Lord, I did wrong and my wrong was against you. And how many people here have tried to, uh, you know, manoeuvre a little bit? Well, it wasn't really that bad. Or it wasn't as bad as so-and-so. Or it wasn't really all my fault. Now, don't look at me like that. You've done it too. We, we, we've done that at times. When, when David just says, you know what? Forget what everyone else did. This is not about, this is about me and God. And I'm just going to call it what it is. Lord, I sinned. And in fact, he uses transgression, iniquity, and sin. He says, I, I've, I've covered all the bases. I'm, it's me. And, and it's, Lord, I'm sorry. It says in verse 2, wash me from it. Cleanse me from it. So let me give you some thoughts here on a pattern of confession. This is, I'd encourage you to write this down. We'll list this off, we're done. Firstly, David admits his wrongdoing, verse 3 and 4. David admits his wrongdoing. It's a good place to start. Lord, I did wrong. My wrong was against you. You might have wronged someone else. You can say that. You should say that. But Lord, ultimately that means I've wronged you. As a child of God, I've, I've done wrong. Secondly, look in verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Secondly, David cried for divine holiness. He says, Lord, I know my problem is essentially a heart problem. It's not an action problem. It's a heart problem. Because if the heart is right, the action will be right. So it is a sinful action, but it's really because of what's in my heart. Lord, would you create in me a clean heart? That's, that's a good prayer to pray. I, I, I think that's a, a wise one to pray. Look, it can be a little scary too, but, but I don't think there's anything wrong with repeating those words. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Thirdly, David cries out for a divine attitude in this same verse. He says, renew a right spirit. So clean heart, right spirit. Lord, create in me a clean heart. No, so we create. It's like I need a new one, and then renew a right spirit within me. If, if and he's whole testament, but God has put His spirit in us. I, I need that that right spirit, just that right attitude renewed. It's it's been there. I went wrong. I need it back. Renew it, Lord. Do these things, please. I need holiness. I need the right attitude. Then notice verse eleven. David here acknowledges that and confesses his need for God's guidance. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He's pleading with God saying, Lord, I, I, oh, I've done wrong and I'm not worthy of all of that. And, and we know as a saved New Testament Christian, the Holy Spirit's not departing from us. But he's saying, Lord, I, oh, the very thing I need to, to get this right and to keep it right is I need you to stay with me. Please stay with me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Lead me. Look in verse 12. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. That's pretty bold. He cries here for God's divine unction and guidance, all the way from verse 11 through to verse 13. And so there's a pattern here, and I could go through the rest of the psalm. He talks about the sacrifice of God, a broken spirit. And he goes through some more here. But there is just such a great pattern of confession here. It's that he comes to the Lord. He acknowledges who God is. There's even a bit of praise in that. Lord, you're good. You're the God of mercy. Uh, wash me because you know what? I've done wrong and it's against you. Lord, I'm just going to call it what it is. And, uh, you know, that sin, that, that hurt me. Those verses we didn't read, it's, boy, my bones are broken. And he just says, God, would you just deal kindly with me? I need you to create those right things in me. And I know on a Wednesday night, if you're praying with a group, you might not feel comfortable, and perhaps some things you shouldn't pray that way in a group with God. But 
I tell you what, when you, when you just pray openly with God about that, it's amazing how your relationship will improve with God. Confession to me is first and foremost about this one word, and I'll stop. It's about the word fellowship. I want you to consider any earthly relationship. So think about friendship. Maybe think about marriage. If you're in a, in a relationship, friends, married, what, whatever, both of you know that one of you did wrong. And you both know it. It's not a guess. Like You, you both know it. So God always knows, correct? And you know because you did it. And, and the one did wrong won't admit it. We have a saying, no, it's like the elephant in the room. It breaks fellowship. It affects trust. It causes the relationship some strain. And so what God is saying here is, you know what? When you confess, it's good for you because I already know. Confess or not, I still know. But when we start to do this, it allows God to bring that change. I've noticed with children, as, as I work with my children, that when the point of confession comes, often you'll find with it is a point of breaking. Not always, but often when there's, there might be a little bit of defiance at, at times. I get that from their mum's side. And uh, there might be a little bit of defiance. And, and when, that defi- when, there, when there's admittance that comes, often it will be a tear or what, but there's a brokenness. And that is the time at which you can impart. Before that, the aim is brokenness because there's nothing, you're not going to get anything through while well there's defiance. But at that point of brokenness, there becomes the ability to impart or to go further. Now, okay, you're sorry about that. Yes, why? Because done wrong. Well, who did you do wrong against? You, yes, and who else? God. Hmm. So what would God want you to do about that? Say sorry. Okay, why do we need to say sorry? Because it upset God. Okay. Now, we know when we say sorry, what will God do? He'll forgive me. Yes, he will. And it allows us to impart that and to restore fellowship. That, that thing there, by the way, working with your children, that will install, restore fellowship with you, correct? And, and with God. And maybe with the rest of the family, depending on the nature of what's going on. It has a great impact. And yet we struggle with it. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not asking tonight that every one of us, you know, let's... Now, the Bible does say confess your faults and what, but like, I understand discretion and so on. Not asking tonight, all right, let's get everyone up here one by one and let's all confess. No, but I'm, I'm simply saying to you that you could spend five minutes in confession because it's not like, oh, I've got to find out every sin I thought I did that I never did or, you know, never knew I did or what. No, no, confession can be, Lord, just creating me a clean heart. Start to think on some things, Lord, what, what do I need to alter there? And search me, O oh God. Uh, shine the light into there and, and show me. Lord, show me what's better than what I'm presently doing. And God will do that. So here's, here's two things we can start with. Praising, confession. Maybe it's just me, I've got a lot to confess, but I, I reckon we can get to 10 minutes out of that. And again, the goal's not, oh, I did 10 minutes, but I'm just trying to encourage you here to grow in this. And I hope that'll be of some help to you. Okay, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for our time in the Word. Help us as we pray tonight. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All righty, let's go.